Welcome. My name is Russ. If you are uh, visiting from regions beyond, I am the executive pastor here at Summit Drive Church, and we are in a series on the letters from uh, Jesus and Revelation. And uh, this is number two. And so let me just pray for us, and then we're going to dive into, if you've got your Bibles, your devices, I invite you to turn with us to uh, the book of Revelation, and we'll just carry on in our series and I just want to pray and just ask God to guide us as we continue on in our series this morning. Let's just pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you for this gorgeous day here in Kamloops. And wherever people are, we just pray that you would uh, be gracious to us today and um, have your voice speak to us, that your spirit would um, minister to us, God. And that we'd hear clearly what you want us to hear. And that you would find within us receptive hearts and minds willing to receive what you have for us today. And that you would be honored and glorified. And that our hearts would be encouraged with this message to the church at Smyrna. And it would be good. And you would be glorified. For that is what we want. And indeed, that is what we need. In the matchless name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen and amen. Not too long ago, um, we as a church staff had the opportunity to watch a, an interview with an individual who was simply referred to as Pastor X. His face was covered, masked. Um, his voice was uh, masked as well because they had to keep everything about his identity hidden for his safety. Pastor X is a pastor currently in a Middle Eastern country where um, Christians have to hide in order to meet. If you're caught, you'd be thrown into jail or worse. And the pastor himself was taking a, a risk by being interviewed and telling the world what's happening in the country where he's serving, but interestingly enough, where God is moving in incredible ways in the country where he is serving. And, and he said by his estimates, there are probably over a million believers in that closed country where it is illegal to be a Christian. The interview is just fascinating um, to hear what is going on in that Middle Eastern country. I, when I first heard the interview before the staff, I, I was just sitting in my house watching it. I'd signed up online for it, uh, and I was convicted, to be honest. To hear this pastor talking about what he's doing, and then to think about what I'm doing here where I have so much freedom so much opportunity, and he risks his life every single day to serve Jesus Christ. If you're interested in seeing the interview, um, I'll give you this opportunity. You can contact the church office. And I was talking with Jacob Harder, our, uh, one of our staff this morning, and, and he said, yeah, we provide that opportunity. So contact the church office. You can go online and do that, and, and I'll make that opportunity. You'll probably make Rue, my administrative assistant's op. Uh, job a little bit harder this week, but if you want to see the interview, we'll make that opportunity for you. It's still available uh, online, and 
but just a risk for you as well, you'll probably be convicted as well at hearing and seeing what God's doing in this country where it's closed and where it's um, illegal to be Christians, but uh, God is moving in just phenomenal ways. I want you to turn with me in your Bibles and devices, like I said, to Revelation, where we're going to pick up this second letter of the seven letters to Revelation. And the church is called Smyrna, and it's interesting. Smyrna today is modern-day Izmir, and it's the only one of the seven cities of Revelation, chapter 2 and 3, where it's still in existence today. It's the third largest city in Turkey today, um, and it was once a proud and beautiful city, and it loved its association with Rome. On its coins was inscribed, first of Asia in beauty and size. It loved that. But before we get too much further, I want us to see something that Daryl Johnson um, said and points out in his commentary called Discipleship on the Edge. And I have three thoughts for us today that I want us to think through. And the first thought is this, number one, the significance of worship, the significance of worship. And that's in Revelation chapter one, but I want us to think through the idea of how worship changes our perspective. And Johnson points out in his commentary this, and I want to quote this. He said, while on Patmos, John was given by Jesus a fresh revelation of our Lord himself, chapter one, verse one. While worshiping in the spirit on the Lord's day, one verse nine, John heard a voice behind him, a voice like the sound of a trumpet, clear and crisp. And when he turned to see the voice, he saw the risen Jesus, the same person whom he had known back in Palestine some 60 years earlier, only now gloriously transformed, chapter one, verses 11 to 18. While worshiping, that is the key, end of quote. I just want to pause here for a few moments. Johnson says, while worshiping, that's the key. While worshiping. Let's take that in for a moment. John received the message in Revelation while worshiping. Have you ever received a message while worshiping? That something happened to you while you were worshiping Jesus? Maybe it's while you're out in creation and it was a sunrise or a sunset Maybe you're camping or hiking or, or doing something. You don't have to be in a, in a service like this in order to be worshiping. And, and God just reminded you that, that he holds the world in his hands. He holds everything, the, all of creation actually in his hands. And, and it was, like I said, a moment where, where you were just outside in the beauty and, and, and the awesomeness of creation. And he just reminded you that everything about this world he holds in his hands and he actually holds you in his hands too. And in that moment, you were prompted to worship. Or maybe you held that newborn in your arms and you're overcome with emotion at the truth that, that he knit that newborn together, possibly in your womb or the womb or his or her mother. And that child is precious in his sight because he knows every fiber of that child's being. Because he knit that child together in his or her mother's womb. And you were prompted at that point 
to worship the creator God. Or maybe you were in church and you were singing a song that you've sung a hundred times before, but you didn't need the words on a screen or on a song sheet in your car or at home on your couch. And something happened that particular day. And that day, the Spirit of God moved in your heart and these weren't words that were coming out of your mouth. There was a movement that happened in your heart, in your being, and it changed. Because you knew at that time you worshipped the Spirit of God prompted you in a way that this wasn't just another song to sing. You see, John saw things differently on the Isle of Patmos when he was worshiping because he saw Jesus. And you and I, when we are worshiping, we'll see things differently. What do I mean? I don't mean that Whatever the issues or problems we are facing will be all gone. You see, I'll walk into a worship service and, and I'll have maybe huge problems at work or I'm facing a, a multitude of perhaps financial difficulties or relational issues or my child is sick or a hundred other different possibilities. And after that worship service, the reality exists that all those things will probably still be there. But my perspective will have changed. How? Well, I will have reminded myself or the Spirit of God will have reminded me who sits on the throne. And that's just the start. You see, because also what worship does is it humbles me. It gets my attention and my focus back where it should be. Listen to these words from Revelation chapter 19. In Revelation 19 verse 4, it says, The 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God, who was seated on the throne. And they cried, Amen, Hallelujah. And verse 6 says, Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters, like loud peals of thunder, shouting, Hallelujah, for the, our Lord God Almighty reigns. And verse 10 says, At this I fell at his feet. This is John speaking. I fell at his feet to worship him. He's talking about the angel. But he said to me, don't do that. I am a fellow servant with you and with your brothers and sisters who hold to the testimony of Jesus. And the angel looks at John and says, worship God. You see, we so often get worship wrong. And John got it wrong at that moment. Look where he was. He was at this incredible moment where he was seeing things that were, were blowing his mind. And the angel corrected him by pointing him back to God. And he said, John, don't worship me. I'm just a fellow worshiper. Worship God, John. Worship God, John. Worship God. And that is always where our hearts need to be. Our hearts need to go back to God. It humbles us and it's good for us. And any time we get worship focused on ourselves or upon the things that we want or desire, then we're off base because the angel would say to us, no, look up 
and worship God. He's the only one who's worthy. So the first thought to consider is the significance of worship. The second thought is this, the significance of the first and the last. That's found in Revelation 2, verse 8. You see, Jesus comes and he comforts his followers with this statement of fact. As I mentioned earlier, Smyrna loved their status and had on their currency and printed the first city of Asia of size and beauty. You see, they just loved this idea of being first. It was important to them. The city had also been destroyed in 580 B.C., but it had come back to life, if you will, in 290 B.C. But Jesus comes along with an even greater story. He announces that he is the first and the last who died and came back to life again. It's an incredible claim. Let's listen to the words of the prophet Isaiah. In Isaiah 41, verse 4, we read this. I, Yahweh, am the first, and with the last I am he. Isaiah 43, verse 10 says, Before me there was no God formed, and there will be none after me. Isaiah 44, verse 6 says, I am the first, and I am the last, and there's no God besides me. And then finally, Isaiah 48, verse 12 says, I am he, I am the first, and I am the last. Such a powerful claim for the church at Smyrna. Jesus is telling them that the powers like Rome will come and the powers like Rome will go. But I, Jesus, I will still be ruling and reigning and no one will ever overthrow me. And now here we are, how many years of human history later that tell the story that there have been dictators and despots who have come and gone, rulers who thought they were somewhat untouchable, that they had all the power and all the authority, but they found out that they didn't and they aren't. But Jesus is still here and he still sits on the throne and he is untouchable. And so he comes to the church at Smyrna and says to them, I'm the first and I'm the last. And it's still true today. Scholars say that verse 8 covers both the deity and the humanity of Jesus. The first part where he says that I'm the first and the last, that talks about his deity. But I was dead and I'm alive again, talks about his humanity. You see, they're facing such a big enemy, but Jesus gives them the hope right at the beginning of this great statement of fact. What are you facing today? What struggle are you going through? Well, these that we have here are words of hope for you with this statement. Jesus wants you to hear that today. Words of hope. The third thought is this. It's the significance that he knows, and that's found in verses 2 or 9 through 11, chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. You see, the church at Smyrna had done nothing wrong, but they were still going to suffer. When Jesus said, I know your afflictions, it's a unique word. Let me share with you another insight from this commentary. The Greek word used here is thalipsis. It's a strong word and its essential meaning is pressure, more exactly crushing pressure. The disciples in Smyrna were living out their faith under thalipsis, under crushing pressure. It wasn't just a casual pressure. It wasn't sort of the normal things of life. It wasn't sort of like I've got problems and issues going on. No, Jesus says there's this crushing pressure and I know. 
He knew they were suffering. And it also says he knew about their poverty. Why were they so poor? Smyrna was a wealthy city. Not for Christians. They were shunned. If they ran a business, well, they weren't liked by other people. Or their business was confiscated. The ruling elite in Smyrna and the Jews conspired together to make sure that they were cut off from society. People wouldn't do business with Christians. Chuck Swindoll, in his book called Insights, writes about what it might have been like in Smyrna. And I love how he pictures for us what a gathering in Smyrna might have been like. Let me read to you how Swindoll imagines what a day or a meeting might have looked like. Listen as he pictures for us what a gathering would have been like. And I quote, Imagine yourself sitting among the gathering of God's people in Smyrna on a cold morning before sunrise. A small lamplit room houses the remnant of beaten and beleaguered church members. The once lively crowd of Christians now displays obvious gaps where men and women once sat. Some have fallen away under the persecution. Others are simply gone, arrested, exiled, or executed. Some of you risked your lives just to meet this morning to pray, to sing hymns to God, and to read from Holy Scripture. All of you are outcasts, desperate for a word of encouragement from the messenger sitting in your midst. In the dim light, the pastor unrolls a scroll and begins to read with a calm, quiet confidence. Whispering and shuffling in the room ceases when you hear from whom the message comes, the risen Lord himself. The entire group seems to hold its breath when Christ begins his commendation. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. End quote. You see, there are competing value systems. Smyrna, Smyrna was a beautiful city with a, a stable economy for most people. See, if you bowed to the right kings and idols, all was well. It was pretty overt and pretty clear. But Christians made their decisions and they suffered the consequences. Hear what James 2.5 says. Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? There's different value systems. And what did Jesus say in Luke 21? When the widow dropped in two small coins to the temple treasury, Jesus looked and said to his disciples, as they were sitting there watching as the people came by, he said to his disciples, she's put in more money than all of the others because she, they gave out of their wealth, but 
She gave out of her poverty. She gave all she had to live on. You see, Jesus, Jesus has a different value system. He told the believers at Smyrna, you're rich. Because he was looking into eternity where they were storing up for themselves riches that could never be taken away from them. Yeah, there's pressure. Pressure in all kinds of ways to conform to the society we live in. Yeah, there's financial pressure. And there's also sexual pressure. And family pressure and moral pressure and ethical pressure. And a host of ways that our culture wants us to conform to what it tells us is their value. But if we stand up and announce, actually there's this book that we have. And it's called the Bible. God's word. And it's how we actually look at our world in which we live. And we value this book and the truth held here. And it's how we're going to actually look at the world in which we live and how we're going to shape our lives to live. And this book holds the values that we value. And it's how we're going to shape our families and how we live in the world in which we live. And there's going to be times when we will clash with the values of the world in which we live. And the crushing pressure of the believers that Smyrna experienced will be coming our way as well. And maybe we're facing that already in some ways when we see the values of the world in which we live and say, well, actually, they don't come together. They don't mesh. And we say, well, what does the word say? And what does the culture say? And where's the difference? And then we say, well, here, this is where we got to live right here. Because this is the values that we value. It's God's word. And the good news is, is that Jesus knows. He said it to his church at Smyrna and he says it to us today. I know. I know what you're facing. Well, let's clear up the second part of verse 9. There's perhaps some confusion there. Because in verse 9 of Revelation chapter 2, it says there, I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. Daniel Aiken in his commentary in Revelation says this about that verse. First, these were descendants of Abraham by physical birth, but not spiritual birth. In John 8, we find words quite similar as Jesus said of those unbelieving Jews. You are of your father, the devil. And you want to carry out your father's desires. Ultimately, Satan was the real enemy, Achan says. He wanted them to look beyond what was going on and to see the real enemy. What did Paul say in Ephesians 6 verse 12? He said, well, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers and against authorities and against powers of this dark world and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. We need to understand what we battle against in this world and who's behind what's going on in this world. And in verses 10 and 11, there's a message of hope here. And the message comes in two statements. Statement number one is this. Don't be afraid. Verse 9. Jesus tells us that he knew about their pressure and the suffering that they had already endured. But now he tells them, don't be afraid. Because more is coming. When he says the devil will put some of you in prison, again, it goes back to what we just said about the spiritual battle. 
He wants them to know who's behind the battle that is being waged. Every Sunday, we as a church pray for the churches that are suffering under persecution. We do that as a regular habit. And you may do something in your own prayer time. And I would encourage you to do that because we live in a time of increased persecution of Christians globally speaking. Listen to these statistics released by Open Doors Ministries who monitor what is happening for Christians in closed countries around our world. I want you to hear these statistics, all right? So we're not talking um, something in the past. We're talking right now in our world today, all right? Listen to these statistics. Every day, 13 Christians worldwide are killed because of their faith. Every day. Every day, 12 churches or Christian buildings are attacked. Every day, 12 Christians are unjustly arrested or imprisoned, and another five are abducted. This is taken from an article entitled, The 50, the 50 Countries Where It's Most Dangerous to Follow Jesus in 2021. You hear that? The 50 Countries Where It's Most Dangerous to Follow Jesus in 2021. The listed nations contain 309 million Christians living in places with very high or extreme levels of persecution, up from 260 million in last year's list. Now you hear that? Let me repeat that for you. The listed nations contain 309 million Christians living in places with very high or extreme levels of persecution, up from 260 million in last year's list. The persecution that we are talking about here is the threat of losing your life for your beliefs or losing your business or being tortured. It's not about being inconvenienced by COVID-19 guidelines. That's all I'm going to say about that. Scholars are mixed on the meaning of the 10 days. Some feel the 10 days is a fixed period of time that may have been short, but a clear period. Others feel that the 10 days may be a fixed or complete period, but it may have been a much longer period. So we just don't know for sure. But any way that you look at it, it was going to be that the church at Smyrna was suffering. Jesus says to them, don't be afraid. But he also says, secondly, hang in there. Be faithful. Stay the course, even to the point of death. Now I want you to hear this again. From this report from Open Doors. Listen to this. Last year, 4,761 Christians were martyred for their faith globally. Did you hear that? 4,761 Christians were martyred for their faith globally. So the words of Jesus to the church at Smyrna in Revelation chapter 2 are still being lived out in our world today, people. What did Jesus say? He said to them, be faithful even unto death. And there were 4,761 Christians who lived that out today in our world. They needed to hear what Jesus said to the church at Smyrna because that was their experience. Be faithful even to the point of death. And he says, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. Remember, as we read through this passage in Revelation 2, there is no corrective note here for the believers at Smyrna. Jesus loved these people. They're precious in his sight. And let's be clear, in the, light of the, midst, or in the midst of this letter, he is not giving them any rebuke or corrective nature. They did nothing wrong. 
He is simply letting them know that hard times were coming and suffering was coming their way and that was going to be their experience. So let's review here for a moment. Where is Jesus? Last week, Pastor Dave walked us through that he's right there in the midst of the seven lampstands. In other words, he's right there walking amongst the churches. He's right there walking amongst Smyrna. So he's right here with us. Are you suffering? Jesus is right here right now. Who is Jesus? Well, this passage tells us that he's the first and the last. He's the one who died and came back to life again. What else is significant? He knows. He knows your situation. He knows every single bit of it. Take heart. Don't be afraid. Be faithful. These are the words of Jesus to his church and to you today. He is the one who is victorious and will not be hurt at all by the second death, according to verse 11. Now, Smyrna was accustomed to hosting athletic events. Winners would be given this laurel wreath that they would wear as a symbol of their victory. And in, in Scripture, we have the image of a crown given to us numerous times. We have the victor's crown here, but in 2 Timothy 4, verse 8, we have the crown of righteousness. In 1 Peter 5, verse 4, we have the crown of glory. And each draw attention to the blessings of salvation that are ours due to our relationship with Jesus Christ. In reference to verse 11, one scholar put it this way, and I quote, The first death, we all die. The second death is the final death. Eternal expulsion from the presence of God. And Jesus does not promise immunity from the first, but he does promise immunity from the second. We are all going to die the first death. So the real issue is the second. Those who remain loyal unto the first death do not die the second. They enter in to eternal life. So you see, we can understand the words of Jesus when he tells us to be faithful even unto the point of death because he will give us the victor's crown. Remember what Paul said in Philippians 1.21? He said, for me to live is Christ and what? And to die is gain. You see, my best possible life here is to live for Christ. But if you take that away from me and execute me, Paul says, well, then I win. I received the victor's crown, Christ would say, to the church at Smyrna. That's why I think it must have been so incredibly frustrating to deal with a guy like Paul. Put me in jail. That's fine. I'll witness to the people in my prison. I'll just share my faith with those who are guarding me. I don't care. It's all right. Beat me. You're going to beat me? Wow. Then what I'll do is I'll simply say to God, I can't believe that you count me worthy to suffer for the sake of your name. After you're done beating me tonight, what I'm going to do, I'm going to worship you because I can't fathom that you would count me worthy to suffer for you. You're going to execute me tomorrow? I win because I'm going to heaven. A guy like Paul must have been just so unbelievably frustrating for people to deal with. He was so incredibly focused on Jesus. So in love with Jesus. 
Do you and I love Jesus the same way? That you can take whatever you want to take from me? That I don't care because I've got Jesus? That you can do whatever you want to do to me? That it doesn't matter because I've got Jesus? That's what Jesus was getting the church to Smyrna to focus on. He's everything. Is he everything to you? Our culture wants us to buy into their values. Their values aren't worth it, people. They just aren't. A friend of mine who was a retired first responder told me about a friend of his who's struggling with some serious health issues. He was also a first responder, too, in a different line of work. But my friend wanted to encourage him with what he looks like his friend's days may be numbered. So he sent him a message that went something like this. He said, you know, our days as first responders, we often went through doors without knowing what would be on the other side. But we did it because that's just the nature of the work that we did. We crashed through doors and we dealt with things as we got through the other side. He said, well, my friend, as you get ready to go through this final door, I want you to know the good news is not only do you know what you know is going to be on the other side, but you actually know who's going to be greeting you on the other side. His name is Jesus. And he'll be waiting for you as you go through that final door of this world into the next. As we close and the band comes up this morning, let's just review you see, there's such a significance to worship because it changes our perspective. And there is a great significance in Jesus being the first and the last because it brings us comfort. And there's a tremendous significance that Jesus knows because he sees and he knows. And some of us just needed to be reminded of that today, to not be afraid and to be faithful. Just check our values today. And if you don't have that relationship with Jesus, that maybe today's the day that you need to start having a relationship with Jesus. He would love to welcome you into his family. It's just a matter of asking him to be your savior and saying, Jesus, I need you. Will you come into my life, forgive my sin, and be my savior? And let's just pray, and then the band's going to take us and lead us into a closing song. Father, we thank you for this time that we've had together. Thank you for reminding us that this world's values aren't worth it, but you and your values, well, they're eternal because Jesus is the first and the last. And if we don't have a relationship with you, Lord, then maybe right now someone out there listening could enter into a relationship with you. It's as simple as just saying, Jesus, I ask you to forgive me my sin. I ask you to take me as I am and to be my Lord and my Savior and to do it right this very moment. And then I can know that I don't have to worry about a second death because I'm going to live forever with you in all of eternity. In the matchless name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen.